and the non-believers shall be cast out from the kingdom of heaven and struck down by the wrath of God the Almighty. Well, everybody, welcome in. Today is a very special episode. Our first guest on the podcast. Ooh, fancy <laughs> stuff over here. Um, so welcome in, Sharon. And uh, I'll actually, I'll just let you introduce yourself and tell the people a little bit uh, about yourself and kind of your spiritual journey and uh, anything else you think we should know. All right. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, my name is Sharon Quackenbush. I actually grew up as the daughter of a United Methodist minister. And so I grew up in church, very involved and um, essentially became a youth pastor from that. I was a teacher for a little while and then became a youth minister and I really felt pulled from youth ministry to go into counseling as I was working through um, kind of the faith walk in my own self, but also my faith walk with my with my youth and realizing that there's so much more out there. And so I am now a student at UCF training to be a licensed mental health counselor. Um, but I've been through a lot of the journeys. I've been trained. I'm a certified youth pastor. And so I have a lot of training. A huge percentage of my friends are pastors. Um, but I've definitely gone through kind of a transitory faith journey myself of riding a little bit on the coattails of my parents' faith for a very long time. And then um, marrying into somebody who really had to leave his own faith tradition. And um, we've just kind of been exploring that journey of deconstructing the faith that we had as children and reconstructing something that might be better and might better fit us and fit our understanding of spirituality and um, this being we call God and all of these things. So it's been a journey. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so much of that I didn't know. Um, you know, we go to school together and Kat told me you'd be a good person to have on for this episode about counseling because, you know, you're a counselor. And um I had no idea you had such an extensive kind of history with um, the, the pastor life and all that. So um, this is going to be really fun and uh, already learned a lot. So very excited to get into this. Um, so yeah, as I just alluded to today's topic is counseling, specifically counseling in the religious Christian sphere. Um, so the topic I came across a lot when like looking or the question I came across a lot when looking into this topic was, is it okay for Christians to go to a counselor? Um, and this was a, a bit surprising to hear. Um, and maybe it's just my own. So I'll let you, you all speak to this, but uh, for me, this is not something I ever really thought about that much. Like when I was a Christian, um, it didn't really seem like a question that would come up, but is that different for y'all? Uh, my church has like grief support counseling for like people who like widowers and widows and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think there's any individual one-on-one -on -one counseling. Mm. Yeah, no, zero. <laughs> yeah, so, go ahead. Oh, it's labeled as like more support than counseling, I think. Right, right. And then that's the thing that I came across is like a lot of times in the church, the counselor is the pastor or you know if they do refer out it's to a christian specific counselor um, but just the idea of like can christians are they allowed to go to a counselor is, is very interesting to me because why not you know like i never even considered why they would not be able to go to a counselor um so i don't know very interesting but uh some of the numbers on this were interesting to me as well uh i looked into like uh, who people trust. So, uh, like talked about two types of religious counseling, which is counselors who are religious and use that as the basis of the treatment and then pastors. Um, and the numbers were pretty surprising for me. Um, 77% of evangelicals would trust their pastor with marital problems, 75% with parenting problems, 73% with drug and alcohol problems, and 63% with anxiety and depression. Um, and I, it's, that's from Pew Research Center. Surprising to me. Um, 
well, maybe not surprising, but maybe disappointing. I, I don't know which one. Um, any thoughts on those? I can jump in. That's something that I've seen a lot. Um, I've seen a lot of people really lean toward this understanding that their pastor is kind of their everything, their mentor, their guide. And for my pastor friends, that's a huge pressure. And I have some pastor friends who are really doing a great job of studying and training to also help with various levels of counseling. Um, but I have seen there's been a big movement in a lot of the more progressive church groups towards encouraging people to seek counseling as well. In addition, you can have a counselor and you can have Jesus kind of idea. But there are a lot of stigmas and fears because going to a counselor implies you don't have your life together or you don't have enough faith or you have this doubt. And so there's a lot that can be kind of brought into this fear of going into mental health counseling beyond just seeing your pastor. Yeah, I, I would echo that stigma. Um, there's definitely a lot of that. And yeah, so a lot of stigma. But the thing that I found that was also a reason people in the church kind of were afraid is the wrong word, but like didn't go to counselors or, or felt it was wrong to go to counselors. Um, and this was the, qu the question or the answer to the question I posed at the beginning um, from a lot of different sites and YouTube um, channels and stuff like that. So the problem is a lot of times like mental illness is labeled as like a result of sin. I think that's the most common refrain I kept coming across was like, oh, it's, it's struggling with sin. It's this or that. And like in extreme examples, and not so much anymore in America, at least uh, like demonic possession is uh, a reason for having mental health issues. Um and so they kind of interpret everything through that lens. And there's like a Bible verse for everything. And like, when they look at it this way, I heard one of them, one pastor specifically refer to them as spiritual problems. Um, and that he used that to justify that they couldn't be fixed without the spirit or without God. And so like going to a counselor, like a secular counselor would not be in line with that. Um, because if you believe that your anxiety is a spiritual problem and it can't be fixed with a counselor, then you're obviously not going to go to a counselor. Um, and he also used this to justify like uh, not using medication for anxiety or depression and stuff like that, because again, it's only a God problem or whatever. Um, so this is, this is really scary to me because it's very dangerous. Um, and so that, that paired with the stigma seems to be the answer that I, I came across a lot as far as, is it okay for Christians to go to counseling or, you know, why do more Christians not go to counseling? Yeah, I think um, there is a role for somebody spiritual or spirituality to play. And I mean, in, in almost every aspect of their life, like there, there, some people do find comfort in, you know, meditation and prayer alongside men their mental health issues, but it's not a substitute for mental health treatment. Um, in the same way, you might go to counseling for, you know, severe depression and you enjoy, like, spending time with your dog. Spending time with your dog can improve condition your environmental conditions, but it's not a substitute for, like, psychosocial therapy. Um, so, for me, that's where my frustration and, like, the danger zone is is whenever uh, spirituality becomes the medicine for mental illness rather than um, something that could be used to you know encourage you know use as like like then what you're talking about like like a support church group can be great um, for things like grief or just parenting in general um, but yeah it to me my sort of like red flags go off whenever it's um I'm going to take my issues to my pastor rather mm -hmm. than I'm going to, you know, I think it's fine to ask for guidance. That's, that's perfectly fine, especially from a figure that you might trust. Cool. Um, but yeah, that's where my sort of red flags start going off pretty heavy. Yeah. Uh, Sharon, with your intersection between like the pastor world and the counseling world, how qualified would you say like most pastors are to deal with counseling in your experience? After after having undergone the 
counseling training, like true certification and true training to become a licensed mental health counselor. I feel like there's some training, but not nearly enough for pastors. And so I feel a lot of pastors are very limited in their understanding. Um, some are bivocational, and I'm a huge fan of bivocational pastors who decide to live in kind of both worlds. Um, but I would definitely say that it's it's a very understudied, underrepresented area, is a pastor who is very trained in also mental health and doesn't just pray it away. Mm. Or, um, or you said something about prayer, Jesse, and I think, um, I think that that's one of the big things that I hear a lot is like, you know, prayer can only go so much. Thoughts and prayers can only go so far. And then there is also this need for tools and for coping strategies and for skills and for trained psychologists and trained therapists to actually kind of step in and help guide the rest of the way. Yeah. And I think that um, idea of like prayers only go so far is something I saw come up too, in the sense that um, the belief, like the underlying belief is that the sin is the problem or, you know, whatever it is. Um, but ultimately saying the sin is the problem kind of means the person is the problem because of the, the worm theory we've talked about before on the podcast. Um, and so when you go to a pastor and you, you know, you confess your sins and then and that's all, you know, not every Christian sect um, does that, but, and they tell you to read a verse or they tell you to pray and then it doesn't go away. And then you come back to them and then they tell you to read a verse and they say to pray and it doesn't go away. And then your question becomes, oh, am I the problem? Like, what am I doing wrong? And, and you're not doing anything wrong. It's just, you're not getting the, the help that you need. Um, and so I guess that's, that's my worry is that, uh, a lot of times pastors are unqualified, um, or underqualified to be counselors. And with uh, the numbers that we talked about at the beginning, a, a, a really high number of people trust them. And it's always a dangerous position when a person in a position of authority has a lot of trust and is underqualified, um, particularly when we're, we're talking about mental health issues, um, just because of the damage that can be done. So worrying to say the least. Um, and, you know, I think we, we see some of this come across in different ways, but one thing we have to touch on at least a little bit is uh, um, conversion therapy, just because it has been kind of for a while, such a big thing. And I, I do want to specifically point out that this is not just a religious issue. Um, non-religious organizations were a big part of conversion therapy. Uh, the APA treated homosexuality as a mental illness until 1973 and gender identity disorder was, wasn't removed from the DSM until 2013. DSM is the diagnostic statistic manual for people listening. Um, so it's, it's not like it's strictly a religious problem. These were secular entities doing this. Um, but you know, largely it is now associated with religion. Um, and again, I don't want to get too far into the weeds on it, but I do think it's important to mention just because it's still legal in 30 states, 30 states, including Wait, South what? Carolina. Yeah, yeah, including South Carolina, um, which we you know where we're from. So it's pretty shocking. When I, when I saw that, I was like, I, I thought it was like 12, you know, um, not over half. So yeah, just some more stats on that, but it's, it's sickening to hear. But uh, as of 2020, 10% of LGBTQ youth reported having undergone some, ver some version of conversion therapy. Um, and amongst those who had undergone it, the suicide rate was double, the suicide attempt rate was double, excuse me. Um, which, I mean, should, should be scary and disappointing and saddening and, and all of the above. Um, and it doesn't get better from there. Uh, in 2018, the Family Acceptance Project found that when parents tried to change child's sexual identity, it was paired with out-of-the-home attempts like conversion therapy. The suicide rate was 63% and depression rate was 52%. So anywhere from 48 to 63% is the, the rate of uh, suicide attempts like amongst this population. Um, so it's, it's not good. I'll say that. Um, and actually, it's actually treated as uh, torture by um, 
let's see the oh i lost the the name of it but like the international torture people do you um, think that conversion camps have campfire songs oh gosh because i think we they're, could they're i think probably. there's a market there's a market for that we could really capitalize on this <laughs> The monetization opportunity. We can monetize today. this. I don't want to. I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I'd like to lead charge on this project. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're disqualified. <laughs> I, I have some experience. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, if, if anybody else wants to touch on on this before we we move on, I, I want to give it its due, but I I don't want to take the whole time. Um. So, I live in a city in South Carolina, and um. So I volunteer at the LGBT center here, and uh, the vast majority of especially youth, like especially or spe sorry, especially like middle to older teenagers that come in, um, have had these experiences, and it's shocking that I would say the numbers are higher than reported, only because conversion therapy right now the qualifications for it are is if you have attended uh, an event of an organization whose specific goal is to con like undergo conversion therapy um, but this happens in everyday church life for a lot of yeah. like, e like evangelical like you know um, a traditionalist religious organizations and um, yeah it's it's uh, it's terrifying how like widespread and like okay we are with it mm -hmm. um, it's, it's sort of like how do we how do we take the word therapy out of it and like conflating it with something right. positive um, and just calling it what it, it it's a it's it's conversion manipulation i don't know what another word for it would be Richard. but yeah <laughs> um yeah it's shocking the effects of this so i know that um uh actually columbia seminary in atlanta or near atlanta um we were doing an event with them in decatur during uh, atlanta pride in 2018 and uh there was a older gentleman who came and spoke and i had a friend there with me and um, came and spoke to us, who had undergone um, the, whenever they were back whenever they were doing like hormonal treatments for like lowering mm -hmm. libido for um, same-sex same attracted male teenagers, and um, yeah, just the stories were horrific, uh, like the long-term effects that these kinds of things can have, and you have to understand like these kids go back to homes that sent them there, so even whenever they escape the conversion therapy part of it. They're still having to live alongside individuals who they're dependent on, who believe that they should go through that process. So I don't have anything else to add. I was just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the, the things that go on at these places are horrific. And um, there's a reason they, they've classified it as torture, because it is. Uh, if you do want to know more about it, I got most of these stats from the Trevor Project. Um, so it's, it's a national foundation for crisis intervention and suicide prevention for LGBTQ youth. Um, so good stuff happening over there and, um, check it out if you want to know more. So that brings uh, up a good, sorry, Sharon, ben. Sharon's been like Sharon trying to hop to in. Oh, oh, bad. sorry. Yeah, just, yeah. just jump in. I, I'm not, I'm looking at my notes and not at the screen. So just literally interrupt. I, I <laughs> How dare matter. you? Or guests, you know, I don't want to over guess. No, um, no. no, but this is, this has been an area that I've been working in for years is working with LGBTQ teens in the church and kind of running underground like youth groups that are safe and all of this. And so um, this was just really my mission for a very long time. But I found that some of the messages that are taught in Christianity, like love the sinner and hate the sin, or the idea that we are inherently evil from this original sin, like these are where some of those, some of those messages stem from. And so there becomes this like, self-hatred of oneself that can be very, very detrimental to mental health. And so this understanding that we're inherently evil or we're inherently sinful or our sexuality or, um, you know, our orientation or gender, it has to be male and female. And so much of this stems, stems from the story in Genesis, the creation story. Mm. Um, and so many people use that as this attack to justify their lack of affirmation and their lack of welcoming and openness. And so um, I just hear that phrase a lot of, um, you know, hate, love, love the sinner, but hate the sin. And right. I think it's just such a, 
a horrid way to try to manipulate language to identify people's sexuality has been full or their mm-hmm. identities has been full. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. And that, you know, touches on something we, we brought up at the beginning, which is the the idea of what we've been calling worm theory, but original sin, um, which is like, how, how do you expect someone to go through life thinking that they're a sinful, terrible being by nature. And the only way out of that is through Jesus. And it's like, well, if the only way out is through him, why would I go to a counselor? <laughs> you know, why would I seek help for these things? Um, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. So uh, that being said, and, and also Jesse, I want to touch on your point too, of like taking the word therapy out of conversion therapy um, and all of these things get at the idea, which I want to transition into now of, where do we go from here? (laughs) You know, how do we um, uncouple the stigma and the history uh, associated with Christian counseling and pastoral counseling, which, you know, isn't usually qualified. Like how do, how do we get religious people out of this mindset of, you know, there's so much, there's so much to talk about. So where do we start? Not everybody at once. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Pfeiffer, I think it's time it's your, it's your turn to lead charge lead charge? yeah, lead charge um, I think the best solution is to have people undergo terrible life things and then have to go to therapy and realize that it's actually helpful just traumatize everyone this man's on to something just traumatize write everyone. that down <laughs> no. like, on a serious note um, like that's, that's been my experience like people who I thought would have negative views um, of therapy and stuff, underwent some like life-changing events, and they went to therapy themselves, and now they're very supportive mm. of um, myself like getting help when I need it. Yeah. And as much as I don't want bad stuff to happen to people, I mean, it, it worked. Well, let me let me counter that point real quick. What yeah. is, what stops them from saying God works in mysterious ways, or or God has a reason for everything in that situation and not like, because you're saying like they just go to counseling after that. Like, what is the difference there? Um, well, the, the person that I'm referring to went, he, they went to religious counseling. They sought help from like mm. friends who were pastors. And they also, um, I think they just found that that didn't quite fit with like what mm. they needed. And, I think they do believe that everything happens for a reason. And that was kind of the driver oh, of going to counseling, trying to figure out why that was the case that that happened. The reason oh, that's happened. very interesting. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of falls along the same lines as prayer, where saying that everything happens for a reason, or there's a purpose to this, or um, Lord works in mysterious ways, only brings you to, only gets you past things that don't break you. So mm. things that are emotionally or mentally insurmountable, I think people are far more willing to jump to what they know is the right course, which is usually when people go to mental health counseling. Um, I mean, not, not to say that they you know, are lying to themselves that their religion isn't the way to go at all. I would be surprised if, any, if most people thought that, that go through that process, but that sort of insurmountable and deep pain it's a really strong driver to like please get this pain out of me i'm like i'll try anything um Mm -hmm. which is depressing but it's kind of again i know we've talked about this before not every evangelical is a cult member but it's kind of like that part of it at least is kind of like cult mentality so to me it's like the most helpful thing in my own personal experience has been getting people to acknowledge that they've had traumatic emotional experiences in the church seems to be a pretty effective way of getting them to and not even like hey you should leave your religion like not even like that at all but like you deserve to be treated with respect and you haven't and if you can get someone to acknowledge that they're far more likely to seek help outside of that support system Mm. yeah sharon you were you were celebrating over there (laughs) no i just oh gosh i i shouldn't celebrate but i i am very fascinated by the area of religious trauma Um, Because I do think that we 
we can be traumatized by so many things and we forget that we can also be traumatized within and from the church. And you were saying kind of this idea of evangelical cult. Um, and I've done a lot of studies lately. Um, there's a, there's a person named Dr. Winnell who focuses on religious trauma theory. And she believes that there's this whole branch of trauma that we in counseling have not even started to tap into that is focused on being developed in a fundamentalist or an evangelical world that really shapes our worldview. Um, but then you were asking kind of additionally, like, how do we escape it? And I think that it's so much broader than just changing the mind of a Christian or changing the mind of any mm, religious yeah. group, um, because it is definitely, um, there's a really great author. I re highly recommend him, Brian McLaren. Um, if you haven't heard about him, he's amazing. Um, but Brian McLaren is, um, wrote a recent book about how we start with a very simplistic way of thinking, like all humans start with a very simplistic way of thinking. And then we start to break into more complex. So we go from binary thinking to this complexity of thought. Um, and then at some point, those why questions don't get answered by our faith or those why mm -hmm. questions start to add more why questions. And he identifies that we end up in this perplexed state, which is where a lot of people like just discredit their faith altogether. They say, you know, this is a dark place. This is an icky place, but I kind of like it. And frankly, none of this makes sense. And I'm more comfortable with my doubt than I was comfortable with my certainty. Mm. And so we get caught and perplexed, which is where I think a lot of people who eventually leave the church, myself included, we get stuck there. And um, he believes that there's hope on the other side of harmony and recognizing that we can you know, follow Christian teaching of loving our neighbors as ourselves, which includes loving ourselves. Um, and, you know, these Christian teachings that we need to follow. But I do think that it starts because we mm -hmm. think very simplistically. Everything's black or white, us or them. Um, and that can be a very, like, ingrained in the evangelical, like, mindset. Um, this yeah. binary thinking that we need to unpack. Yeah, that's that's really um, a deep, deep topic because it is so ingrained in the evangelical mindset for even just the simple reason of it's kind of the basis of evangelism is that you have knowledge, they don't, you need to give it to them, you know? And like, if you have the ultimate truth, that creates a power dynamic. It creates a, a position of superiority on your side. Um, and so decoupling something so fundamental is is tough um but you're right like this isn't this is like a fundamental change that needs to occur um, but again it's not only religion like there's a big stigma in society as for as far as counseling goes um so <sighs> it's a it's a tall order to start anywhere um but yeah starting to just kind of i guess the first step is untangle the idea of the sin and the center and just completely throw that out um, and realize that the, I guess the complexity of humans um, and m more on that point of that that's not wrong. You know, you're not wrong for being complex. You're not wrong for having emotions. Um, and I think oftentimes we treat emotion, like certain emotions like anger or, lust specifically as wrong um and it's not wrong it's not bad it's just an emotion um and and uh yeah that, i guess that's where we start uh, with all stigma is awareness so uh very interesting though um just how how complex it can get i think i don't really know how this ties in but one thing that i was i was kind of thinking um in this vein is that Ultimately, pastors don't refer out to mental health professionals because of the fear that going out into the world will lead the individual away from Jesus or the church. Um, and this is, this is a mindset based on insecurity. Uh, it's insecurity of their own faith. Um, and this leads to so many of the church's problems um, because they're, they're putting their own needs and their own insecurities above the individuals that they're claiming to help. And I know that doesn't sound like the church at all, but... 
it's it's kind of a pattern. <laughs> um, so yeah, go ahead. My my dad actually had a really funny phrase. So my dad's passed, but he had a funny phrase, and he was not like he was not a progressive pastor. He was very conservative. Um, I felt very safe raised in that bubble, but I realized like there was some toxicity in it after I left, um, you know, and graduated and aged a bit. But um, but he would say this idea that um, usually things start with a man who creates this movement. And this movement creates this monument and this monument creates a mausoleum. And I feel like we had the person in Jesus Christ who created this movement or, you know, even Muhammad, Buddha, all of these different individuals created a movement that has become this monument. But American Christianity especially has really turned this into a mausoleum where they're they're circling their horses. They're so afraid of anything that threatens the church itself and threatens um, culture that might threaten um, the integrity of their little church and their little congregation. And I see that so often. And um, it's so funny to me because I've seen so much since COVID happened, this faith over fear, but there's so much fear that's driving churches today of this fear of like, what if people do leave the church? What if our church does you know, lose young people? Or what if people do go find something that's better or different or nothing? And um, it's just not attractive. Like, it's not attractive to be a congregation who's like desperate for people. But I see that a lot in churches, this mm. fear that their their monument turned mausoleum is going to disintegrate. And maybe that's what it needs to do. Maybe it needs to become something new. Um, and they're not ready for that yet. I couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> that conversation. Sorry. <laughs> this time. Um, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I hadn't even thought about the faith over fear stuff, but I, I see a lot of those posts on Facebook and it's very paradoxical. Um, well, it was, um, we touched on this a little bit in the GOP versus the GOD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, like, Last night, so newsflash, um, my daily dose of pain that I give myself is I like to watch Tucker Carlson because I think it's hilarious. Oh, brother. Um, oh, yeah, I buddy. Know, uh. I just want to know what my parents are watching so I can keep up. And, um, <laughs> so I think last night was probably, so I have like a little like journal I write in whenever I watch it. Like, what is he talking about? Like, you know, how crazy is it? I have like a scale I use. And... um Last night was the first time he had a nine. And we all know that oh, he's not boy. known for, you know, whatever. It's not about Tucker, but um, <laughs> he had Newt Gingrich on, and they were talking about how uh, trans people were trying to become the new majority. And they went down a whole list of people groups that were being under attack right now. And it was, it was Christians, it was churches, it was schools, it was, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. And... It's very American to be afraid. And that's mm. something that I think a lot of people are aware of, right? Like, I mean, we're terrified. We're, we go to war the most. Of course, we're the most scared, you know? Yeah. And, um, but, I, that, but that is, like, branded as, like, pride and, like, nationalism. It, it's it's right. covered I, up. And, it's, and I hope that I'm wrong about this next point. I hope that I get proven wrong about it. But fear is required for American evangelicalism to survive. Mm. Um, I agree. If people aren't afraid, they'll leave. And they won't leave their faith because, I mean, I think most people who are evangelicals or even moderately Christian have perfectly fine um, relationships with their faith. Um, but if that fear isn't there, then they are going to start realizing that there are sources out in the big, scary world that are helpful. They're going to be able to read, they're going to be able to connect to people on, like, even like making friends they would probably wouldn't have been able to otherwise had they stayed in that environment. They're going to get mental health counseling. You know, um, they might leave their hometown. It's wild. And um, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, it's crazy stuff. But I don't know how we change the conversation to focus on fear. Um, but I know we talked about this a little bit with like worm theory. Like it's this fear of feeling worthy that, a lot of evangelicals seem to struggle with um, 
and again, like I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, you know, it's, it's hard to love yourself because you're, it feels like a sin. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't even feel like one, like it, to you, it is one, you know, you're like, right. oh my God, if I think that I'm even moderately okay, if I don't think that I'm garbage, then, mm-hmm. oh my God, it's so much pride, you know, but yeah, it's, it's the fear. Fear is required, unfortunately. I wish it wasn't, but. Oh, I, I don't want the listeners to miss that because I think that's a, a really big point that I think a lot of them can relate to is loving yourself feels like a sin. Um, that that's a big statement and um, something I think we can all relate to and, and the listeners can as well. Uh, Sharon, did you have something to say on that? I, I mean, I always have thoughts. But <laughs> <laughs> well, please share. <laughs> I I have been digging up a lot of my favorite authors for this and was just like, yeah, I need to kind of refresh. Um, And there was a really great statement made by an author talking about, I don't remember which one, it might've been Brian McLaren, but talking about um, America and society today and how we are in a state of fear. Church and Christianity is in a state of fear. And what happens when people go into a state of fear, and I feel like as a mental health professional, like this is something I have to remember, like people are afraid of change. Mm -hmm. And so the church is afraid because they see these new movements. They see what may be spiritual or maybe isn't, but they see these transformations in the world that have been around for centuries, but are just coming to light. Um, And they realize like, oh my goodness, there's change. I'm afraid of it. And what we do when we're afraid is we revert to our original like coping skills or we revert to our original communities and we go back to our offenders and we go back to the perpetrators and we go back to the things that hurt us and trained us poorly in the first place. And so we go back to tribalism essentially. And that's what I think we're seeing in our society today is Mm, this movement of fear becoming tribalism because you hold tight to what you originally knew. And so I think that's what we're seeing a lot in Christianity and evangelicalism in um, politics right now is this kind of like tightening back to Mm -hmm. the us versus them, the good versus bad, um, and really starting to add some labels that are very harmful and scary. Going back to a known evil. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, and I hadn't thought about that like that. Um, like the the fear of a known evil is less than the fear of the unknown, and uh, I mean that's a topic that comes up a lot in religious circles. It's the fear of the unknown, and even again, non-religious circles. Um, humans don't like change. Humans don't like the unknown. We like to feel like we're in control, and I think you know, being more cynical about the church, control is at the end of a lot of this fear because if you don't you know, if you're unable to control the people, then you're going to be afraid that you're going to lose that power. Um, again, that's a cynical view of the church, but you know, there's probably some truth to that. Um, and I, I guess, Jesse, I, I do want to go back to your point too, that, uh, fear is at the basis of so much of the church. Um, and it's very interesting because it's, it's talked about so much within the church like you don't have to be afraid, you know, God conquers all your fears and, you know, with Jesus walking beside you, you can do anything, you, da, 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 you know, like it's, it's all over everywhere about overcoming fear, overcoming sin, living in victory. And yet so much of it is fear-based. Like there's a lot of scare tactics that go into it. And it's, it's just funny to me that like scare tactics go into anti-fear messages. <laughs> um, I just don't quite see how that works. Uh, but it does, and it works really well because people respond to fear. And I think at the end of the day, that's the sad part is on a level, it's it can be emotional manipulation. Um, and it, I think um, we talked about that uh, a little bit in our trauma episode. And I'm sad you weren't here for that one, Sharon. I think you would have been awesome. Um, but yeah, just the the kind of similarities you can find between like an abusive relationship and the church or just, you know, someone in, in power within the church. And um, yeah. So I think acknowledging fear um, is, is another step to take towards getting help 
uh, from outside the church. If you're, if you're someone who's in the church and you are seeking uh, mental health counseling or something like that, um, just acknowledging the fear that comes with that. Uh, was it religious or not? Like, that's a big step. That's a scary step to uh, reach out to someone um, and a health, like a health professional like that, because it's not like you're going to the doctor and for your broken arm, it's like you're divulging your secrets and your vulnerabilities and stuff like that. Um, so just acknowledging the fear and, and saying, Hey, this is scary. I am nervous. Um, and that's okay. It's not wrong of me. It's not like, you know, well, I have Jesus, so I shouldn't be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. It's, you know, right. and a belief in Jesus sometimes dismisses all of yeah. those hard feelings. Yeah. Like we can't be mad because we have Jesus or mm-hmm. we can't be sad because we have Jesus and we can't grieve because we have Jesus. And so I think that, I think that the acknowledgement is a key piece. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally agree there. Well, I think that, um, there's, there's ways to communicate, uh, like healthy processing of anger with faith. So like, um, like I, I still consider myself a spiritual person and the times where I've felt the most close, like most close to that side of my life have been when I'm the most angry, upset, devastated. Um, again, part of that's coping, right? I mean, that's, it's, you know, we, we find whatever we can to help and, whenever we use messages of you can't experience these negative emotions because they show that you're not faithful, you're taking away that self-efficacy of being able to trust your own emotions. And if you can't trust what you're feeling, like mm. who can you trust? And but then you've got yeah. this lovely man who stands up front and tells you all you need to know. And, um, and I'm not trying to like trash talk the idea of like having a pastor or anything. Like, no, 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 no. But um, it's, I probably shouldn't say this with two people who are currently counselors or wanting to be counselors. Um, I, um, public health major. And so one of the classes we had to take was on behavioral models. And so like self-efficacy, social cognitive theory, like all that kind of stuff. It was the most infuriating class I've ever taken. And, um, but I, yeah, like whenever you're talking about change and how afraid evangelicals and even like our country as a whole, because I don't think we can talk about the evangelical church without talking about our country as a whole they're very very intertwined um but this fear of change like i don't know what sort of process would need to be undergone to start changing the narrative um that change is bad because it's not direct that's what's so hard if it was direct it would be so much easier could you you could use like oh my god this study from like 2014 so that change is great but we're not not gonna be possible um which is why I try to advocate so strongly for like individual using our personal connections with evangelicals as the stepping stone to let them know, like, I'm your friend. I want what's best for you. Let's go to the counseling center together, right? Like let's, if you're going through a hard time, um, because when people start taking those baby steps and being able to trust their decision-making more, they're far more likely to stick to it. Um, which is why you have a lot of people who don't go back to the church whenever they leave. I mean, unfortunately or unfortunately, however that might play out, because people learn to trust themselves more. Um, Like, they're not as afraid of change. And you see that with studies that interview people or do surveys with people who have left religion. One of the biggest uh, indicators, like, one of the, sorry, one of the biggest reports they have is an increase in confidence an increase in like, I know who I am now. Like I've, I've been able to step back and explore, um, me. I know how to make decisions for myself now. It's crazy. Right. Um, I don't know how that application would be put into effect on like a wider scale to sort of address these problems. But again, that would lead to a whole conversation about like media and national, whatever. but, um, yeah, it's that fear of change. Like, if, if honestly if we can nail that we got it like you know battle done but that's going to be the uphill battle for a very long time i think i think there's some research on well i know there's research on um personality differences between conservatives and liberals and of the big five uh conservatives are super low on openness to experience don't forget they have bigger amygdalas <laughs> So, I mean, if it's a personality, like, issue, that's how, what do you do with that? 
Well, I think we have to meet them on their level, you know, like, like yeah. anyone, you have to meet them where they're at. And so if openness to experiences is low in that category, it, it doesn't mean you can't be reached. Um, and this is, we've talked about this before, like reaching people and how to do it. Um, but <sighs> I don't know, people are going to, people are odd. <laughs> they're going to suffer and they're going to continue to suffer until they have had enough of it. Um, and my problem with the church becomes it pretends to alleviate suffering uh, and particularly with counseling, like uh, religious counseling is like pretending to alleviate that suffering by giving them a Bible verse or sending them home with a prayer. Um, but, but really they don't do anything. It doesn't change them as a person and they keep coming back. Um, and so this this speaks to I guess people who have reached out to religious counseling or to their pastor to receive counseling they're open to counseling right like they made that first step um, so like that is openness to an experience uh, it's just about getting the next step of someone who's qualified or someone who will help you enact change in your own life it's not just a bible verse um, and I think we should talk a little bit about that too because a lot of people have had really bad experiences with religious counseling and that kind of put them off of religion maybe but definitely put them off of counseling um so you know go to a, a pastor for counseling and and they say well you know this is your husband's allowed to treat you like this because it says in the bible blah blah blah, blah. and it's like have you heard paul talk about it <laughs> right and it's like why would i go back to counseling if my pastor is going to tell me to like submit to my husband Exactly. No, like that's a horrible experience. So how, how do we get those people back into counseling? Well, I think um, one of the things that I try to advocate for when it comes to uh, either political movements or religious movements is you create an alternative, better option. So like in public mm -hmm. health, we have a huge, like one of the biggest things like the 2020 like health goals is making the healthy option, the easy option. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I love seeing progressive churches spring up right next to an evangelical one, because leaving a leaving the church very difficult to get someone to do, and it's not even that really should even be our goal. Like that's not no. necessarily a healthy thing to just shove somebody into. But leaving moving to a different church, mm. it's much easier, and it improves somebody's it improves the self efficacy of that decision to put them in a better environment. And if they can acknowledge that that environment is better for them, it's much easier for them to acknowledge that they have had traumatic experiences within religion. Um, and again, like that's why it's so important to me to advocate for these uh, progressive churches to keep pushing, like keep springing up everywhere. Like be as obnoxious as the 13th First Baptist Church in your town. Like, <laughs> I, I want to see five of you on every single street corner. Like, make the better option the easy option mm. um and again it's not as easy as just springing up progressive churches everywhere but mm. it does start with yeah. a, a contingency of the christian body being able to stand apart bravely and say we are going to be the true better alternative to what we're seeing happening in our faith i mean it really like you got to reclaim your faith um if you care about it if you don't keep doing what you're doing um, but yeah, I mean, providing a better alternative, I, I think, I think it's a great start at least. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping. Sharon, I know you got thoughts. Always. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I love, I love seeing churches, but I, I'm also somebody who gets offended when I see like multiple churches in a row. Cause I'm like, <laughs> why can't you all just get along? Like, mm. why, why is there so much differentiation? Mm. But I think a lot of it is going back to fundamentals. Um, and I use the term fundamentals kind of with some queasiness because I, ha I have a history with fundamental churches and they can be very toxic. Mm. But um, I think that there are so many pieces to faith that we need to kind of like as counselors, we go back through belief systems and like help people point out what is healthy and what's not healthy thinking and belief. And I think we need to start doing that with our faith um, and helping people to do that. Um, and so just kind of taking some of those belief systems that not necessarily throwing them out, but really evaluating them um, 
there's a fun analogy I've always used of we build our houses like we're building out of bricks and we're constantly like putting these bricks together and these pieces together. But when we build our house out of all these bricks and a brick starts to crumble, like that faith piece doesn't work anymore, whether it's like patriarchal thinking or women don't matter. And we're like, no, I don't want that in my home. Our whole foundation crumbles. And so I think we need to help people to build a foundation that's more like a trampoline, build of springs on the sides so they can be flexible and be willing to shift as culture shifts or recognize like that's a piece of faith I don't like anymore. Um, one of the best, one of the best analogies I've ever heard was a guy named Adam Hamilton. He's a United Methodist pastor. And he did this like three cup analogy and he got this like mega big extra large cup. And he said, you know, we can, this cup represents the things in the Bible that are, that are accurate, that really can shape us, that can teach us about God. And then gave us a middle cup and it was like, these are the things that are kind of based in culture. So maybe scripture was written about culture of the time. And so this is where rules about where to like bury your poop exist. Um, and we don't need that anymore. And so this is like a culture-based cup. And then he held up like this tiny cup and he said, and to be honest, I'm not sure if all of the Bible was really about God, was really about people or was about the people who were writing it. And so some of this we can actually just throw away. Um, and that was revolutionary for me to recognize because scripture is such a key piece um, to recognize like, yeah, some of the scripture might not actually be like God breathed and God spoken and um, recognizing that we need to be flexible with that, I think, because so many people get stuck there. Um, they get stuck in things like the Bible or the fundamentals of, fundamentals of their faith. And I think we need to find some more flexibility in that. Um, and that would be a good start. Given giving them permission be flexible, giving them permission to feel emotions, to, to feel things, to be, be wrong. Um, I think that's a big part of what you just said, because I, essentially what the pastor did was give you permission to disagree with the Bible um, and to say, hey, everything might not be 100% true for me or for everyone. Um, and again, that goes against, you know, us versus them thinking. Um, so that would be revolutionary, you know, if, if the church could adopt something like that, because like you're saying, I feel like oftentimes for people who are so um, supposedly grounded in their faith, the slightest little thing, like the crumbling of the, of the misogyny brick, and they want to throw the whole house away. And it's like, was that really the brick keeping you there? You know, like, I, I don't know. It, it, like I've seen so many people like have faith, chaos over like whether or not Mary was actually a virgin. And I'm just like, really? That's what, that's what holds you together. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. I think there's this odd belief that like, if everything in the Bible isn't true, then throw the whole thing away. Um, and that, you know, even as a, as an atheist, that's not the case, you know, it's just not the case with anything. Um, there are a lot of good things in the Bible, a lot of things to take lessons from. Uh, regardless of your spiritual beliefs. And so to say that, you know, throwing one thing out or crediting it with, you know, different culture at the time, that doesn't mean the whole thing is bad. And in the same way that feeling anger, feeling sadness, uh, making a mistake, doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you should throw yourself out. Um, having sin, you know, doesn't mean you're evil or wicked. Um, and so I think a big part of this too is giving people permission to to be themselves to feel things to ha have sinned um if you want to look at it that way um so that's i feel like how many more thoughts do we have because i feel like we're getting close to the end i just think that it's extremely arrogant of you to think you know what everybody needs and wants um, <laughs> i'm i am the one that is being paid to say what god told me so um <laughs> if you would please just stay in your lane that would be great my my bad. I didn't mean to overstep it's my. Okay. Uh, it happens. We're all human. Credentials. And terrible. So it happens. <laughs> I really had no choice. You know. Yeah, I agree with you. The break, breaking the dogmatic belief of like inerrancy is yeah. critical. Um, and I I really think that it's because 
when you say scripture's not inerrant, people are hearing that as it's flawed, therefore completely wrong. Right. Um, and again, especially in like Western thinking, we, th we are so binary. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's absurd. So I don't know how to defeat that. I just agree with you. So mm -hmm. there's that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just the whole message though of like American Christianity is like you are flawed and therefore inherently wrong and bad. Terrible. Yeah. Um, so we're here to say that's not true. Um, you're, you're not here to say that. Okay, I'm here to say that's not true. You're not flawed. You're not inherently bad. Um, you're just a human. And sorry if that disappoints you, Jesse, or lets you down that okay. you're a mere mortal. But um, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we know I need it. So, um, all right. So I guess closing remarks then. Um, one big takeaway, and you know, we'll start with Ben. I haven't heard you from heard from you in a while. Uh. Put you on the spot. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> get, get help. I don't know. Come back to me. I'll think of something. Okay. Um, would anyone else like to go first in our roundtable? Are we have a roundtable? Oh, yeah. It's more of a square. Oh God, I'm so excited. I, you know I love roundtables. <laughs> um, yeah, get get help. Trust yourself more. You know? yeah. I, mean, I don't really know what else to tell you, frankly. <laughs> just do it you know just just yeah. be better just, have you tried not being sad have, have you tried not being terrible and awful um that that i mean that worked for me i personally haven't experienced that um i've been great at everything but um i mean you could try it and let me know how it turns out in case i ever make a mistake i'll know what to do <laughs> um so yeah really our goal is is not to dismantle the church it's not to say that your religion is bad and you should run from it. Our goal is just to help religious people embrace counseling, embrace the fact that things are flexible within the Bible and not everything has to be uh, spoken from God's mouth. Um, pastors are great. Pastors, you know, they do some good stuff, but a lot of times they're not qualified to counsel you. Um, you know, if you want a Bible verse, you can look online for that. Google has a bunch of Bible verses. Um, but if you want counseling, then go to counseling. Um, it doesn't make you flawed. It doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you um, crazy or anything like that. Um, and I, I think the second part is to, if there's any um, pastors or like religious leaders listening, which I highly doubt, uh, refer people out <laughs> to medical professionals. Um, if someone came to you with a broken arm, you're not going to patch it yourself. You're not going to rip the Bible pages out and wrap it around it. They pray um, over it. Yeah, just pray over it. Well, you oh, might do that. And if you do that, you've probably not listened to any of the rest of the episode. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just prefer out. Uh, as scary as it is to say, go to this person who's out in the world and, and like relinquish your control over them, like that can be frightening if you think the ultimate truth is what you have and that if they leave it, they're going to burn forever. Um, I get that that's frightening for them. Um, but if you truly believe what you say you believe, uh, it doesn't need your defense. It doesn't need your control. Uh, I think one of the most powerful things I ever heard when I was a Christian was uh, God doesn't need your help defending himself. Um, and so just uh, kind of embrace that and, and say, hey, truly do what's best for them. Um, if, if you're over your head, then uh, you likely know it. And there are people that can help. So um, let's let's get everybody help. That's my message. Get a hobby. Start an Etsy page. Do something. Sharon, final thoughts? Uh, kind of based on what you were saying, Ben, um, the idea of holistic wellness. Like, I mean, if people really want to get, like, very scriptural about it, like, God, um, God kind of represented God's self and Trinity. And so, like, God wasn't just, you know, deity and human god was also spirit and so i think in holistic wellness we need to realize that we're more than just spirituality or physical there's there's body there's emotions there's all these different facets of who we are and we need to be caring for those um you know if you want to claim you're the temple you can go that route and say you need to take care of that temple because that temple is mentally not always stable um but Additionally, I just think we need to be more willing to recognize that there's 
a need. Um, there's a need that does surpass just a prayer, um, that does surpass a therapy of conversion. It's, it's a need to have a deeper connection to a deeper meaning. And that is found through both spirituality and a combination of counseling as well. I think that counseling is just very essential, but I'm not sure if that made sense. We're going with it though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here and say thanks, Sharon. This was uh, one of our best episodes. I really enjoyed this. Um, Thank you, Sharon. Awesome to have you on. And, Thank you. Um, couldn't have asked for a better first guest. Um, That's true. Yeah, it's great to meet all of you. And um, to everybody listening out there, um, just give you permission to feel, uh, permission to question, and ultimately permission to to love yourself. Like a Thanks hall pass to be depressed. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Not As Christian Is When We Started. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Pocket Cast, or Anchor FM, be sure to share that link. Our email will always be in the description, and we are happy and willing to take any questions you may have. And remember, if you enjoyed today's episode, my name is Jesse, and if you hated it, my name is Ben.